What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Do you ever wonder how to stay the course when things are good? Do you ever get to that place you feel like you've outlived your time there, but yet you know your work is not done? Well, today is the day for you. Man, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. You know, we get to sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they in the middle of life and the middle of leadership have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is such an honor to be on this journey with you. We today are going to release, can you believe, episode 147. Hard to believe we've been at it this long, but I tell you what, every episode I just enjoy so much, and today will be nothing different. Man, I just want to say thank you. You guys have been so great to leave your ratings and reviews. Uh, SC Fit Mom just said insightful. Mike asks great questions, invites quality leaders to interview. No matter who you lead, this podcast is for you. And I love that. Thank you so much, SC Fit Mom. We all are in very different places. I know tons of business leaders listen. I know tons in the athletic world listen. I know uh, college students down to even some high school students that are trying to get ahead of the game a little bit that listen in. So really, no matter where you are, there's something in this for you because leadership is leadership. And whether we're in a church leading, whether we're in a corporation, whether we're in a locker room, man, there are just some components that we can always take away. Today will be nothing different. I tell you what, this This call happened almost a year ago, but I've been saving it for today. We've kicked off high school football season. I I love football. I love pro football. I love college football, but I genuinely love Friday night football. I love Friday night football because these men are unheralded. They many times you don't know who they are. But then there are those that are the ones that rise to the top. And this gentleman is one of those men. He has been coaching, I want you to get this, high school football in the state of Kentucky for 45 seasons at the same high school, Belfry High School. He has 465 wins plus not even what he's won this year. Eight state championships. His state championship team last year began the season 0-5 and stayed the course, and it ended up winning it. They were in the middle of the season when he and I talked, so we don't even address that, but they ended up winning the state championship. There is so much in this episode, just so much in the tank of Coach Philip Haywood. And I was so blessed. I had found out about Coach Haywood from a a friend of mine named Marlon Longacre, who is a a great gentleman and uh, worked on our staff at North Star and serves another great church in our community now. And he has always told me about Coach Haywood and his work at Belfry High School. And when he connected us, I got off that call that day so 
encouraged and so challenged about staying the course, even in my own life. Gosh, we're celebrating 25 years at North Star and, and reinventing and, and staying to the things that are true, but yet adapting. I think today's got a lot in it for you. So I don't know where you're listening in from, but I promise you, there are some gold nuggets for you to take away. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Coach Philip Haywood. Well, Coach Haywood, thank you so much for taking time to join me today. It is an honor to have you, fella. Well, I'm really excited about being here. Uh, when you called, I, I heard about you, and as soon as you mentioned Marlon, I said, this could be a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> it could go one way, or, you know, it, it could go one way or another, and I'm, I'm taking the fun route. Uh, uh, exactly. I'm taking the fun route. You have been voted USA Today Coach of the Year. You've won seven state titles, National Coach of the Year, all-times wins leader, Kentucky Athletic Hall of Fame. When you began in coaching, did you ever dream all that would be said about you? Well, uh, obviously, no. Uh, you know, I, I had some pretty good goals. Uh, I've always been goal-oriented, and, and I tell the story sometimes at, at clinics and leadership conferences that you do need to have goals. And I was a young guy, and I remember taking a class, a master's class, where they wanted you to write personal goals. And I, I may have been coaching a couple of years at that time, and and I wrote down a goal that said, I'd, I'd like to win five state championships. That wow. was one of my goals. And, and at the time, anyone that would have read that would have said, hey, man, what, what are you talking about? Most people just like to win one. And you're putting down, you want to win five. And I always believe in thinking big thoughts. Mm. And, and I, I'll, I'll just share that with you a minute because I, I think that we were created to think big thoughts. Uh, I've always thought there's a lot of big thinkers out there. We, we think here of Aristotle and Plato and Einstein and all these people that, that have these great ideas and big thoughts. But, but where do these thoughts come from? And I think they come from our creator mm. uh, because he's the biggest thinker of all time. You know, he, he put all this together, you know, the universe and, and us and, and all these things. And he's got these great big plans for us. And if we don't think big, we're selling not only ourselves short, but we're also selling the creator who designed us short because he wants us to be able to fulfill our lives to the fullest potential. So even though I probably didn't know what I was doing at the time, I still remember writing that goal. And it took a long time before we ever won the first one. I, I, I don't know, 31 years before I was wow. a, a head coach and won a championship. I was fortunate to win one as an assistant coach, my very first year, I said, oh, yeah, I got this. I'm ready to grow now. About 31 <laughs> years later, you know, we, we finally won one where I was a head coach, and I realized, hey, this is this is hard to do. And then we've been fortunate. We've been blessed to, to win a few more. But, no, that, that never was really my goal. I, I wanted to be successful. Yes, mm -hmm. I wanted to win championships. But early in my career, there were some things that took place that led me to understand that coaching was – about much more than winning. Although it's a great byproduct and we all like to win, but it's about changing lives and it's about making a difference in kids' lives by the way you teach the game. You, and you, you use that word successful. I think the average person would look at it and say successful, yeah, it's winning, but success for you is way more than that. It's the changed lives. What does that, how does that guide how you coach? 
you know, not just what you do, but how you do it, knowing that you have a bigger end product in mind? Well, I think everything that you do, you need to look at is, is, is what, what's going to be the best result for this young man, what's going to be the best result for this team, and the values and lessons that they're going to learn when they're 30 and 35. And I, I, like most coaches, meet with our players at least once a year, just one-on-one, kind of a formal goal-setting uh, talk that we have. And we talk about vision, we talk about goals, and we talk about uh, things that they want to accomplish later on in life. And lots of times teenagers haven't thought a whole lot about that. You know, right. they're, they're just kind of going through the motions, going, going through high school and enjoying themselves. But one of the things that I always tell them, I said, you know, my, my big – goal for you is I want you to be successful when you're 30, when you're 35, when you're 40. And I explained to them, you know, what that success means. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll, won't, you'll be a millionaire, but you could be. But success is doing the best you can do with the abilities that God gives you and fulfilling your potential. It means being a good father and a good husband. It means being a contributor to society. And I said, if, if you're doing those things when you're 35 and we've had any impact on you at all with our program, then we're doing the right things. And if we can win a few games along the way, That's that right. makes it so much the better. You know, I've heard you in, in speeches and talks and interviews, I've watched a lot of your interviews, and you talk about kids buying into your system. You know, here you are in the small town in Kentucky. Um, sort of off the map. You're not getting lots of D1 kids. I've heard you mention that a couple of times, not getting a lot of D1 players there, but you have young men buy into your system. What does that mean to you? And what is that system that they're buying into? Well, well, the system, a lot of people think our system is, is our offense or our defense, and we're pretty similar year in, year out. You know, we have subtle changes based upon our personnel, but, but our system is, is simply doing the little things right. Mm. It's getting a little better each day. It's a belief that if you really work hard and if you learn to care about your teammates and put other people first, that you can have success. And I always clarify success as I did a minute ago with my definition that success is not necessarily winning championships. It's not necessarily how many games you win or how many plays you play. It's doing the best you can do with the abilities that God has given you. And if, if you can get kids to buy into that philosophy, that over a period of time, over a period of years, mm. you can not only uh, be successful on the field, but you can grow a program to, to places that you may not have thought was possible over a period of time. That's fantastic. <laughs> and you're your 47 coaching, correct? Uh, somewhere in there. <laughs> I, you quit I, I, counting now. Yeah, I, I just lost count, yes. How do you keep growing as a coach? I mean, you'd think at some point people would go, wow, I mean, you've done this so long. Heck, you know, in the world's eye of success, you're, I mean, you are way over a success. How do you keep stretching yourself as a coach and as a leader of young men? Well, I, I really have to work on that. And then three or four years ago, I thought I was in a rut. And I said, I'm going to start going to some leadership conferences. Mm. Rather than football conference, I, I went to leadership conferences. I actually attended a couple of John Maxwell events. 
And uh, I said, man, this is really good stuff. And even though it's about leadership and business world and CEOs, uh, I don't know how many football coaches were there, but but I picked up some great things there that I could bring back to our team. So I'm always searching for things that will will help me grow personally, because if I can become a better leader, uh, a better teacher, a better person, better husband, better father, a better grandfather now, and even a great grandfather, if I can if I can become better at those things, then I'm going to be in a position not only to help me grow, but to help our kids and our community grow. So I'm, I'm looking for things uh, maybe a little differently now than I did a few years ago, but I still do a lot of the same things. I'm going to go to a coaching clinic. Uh, now I'm doing more videos now than I used to. I'm, I'm an in-person kind of guy, but I, I've learned to get on the video world because we haven't been able to go in person now for a couple of years. And uh, I, I meet with our coaches. I talk with college coaches. We visit colleges each spring or high schools and uh, share ideas and pick up things. And I've always done that. And uh, I, I think at, at my stage that I have to keep doing that to stay motivated. That's I can sit back and easily say, well, okay, we're, we're pretty good. We don't need to do this. But I think our coaching staff, and that starts with me, has to stay motivated. And you do that by continually learning, continually getting better, continually improving yourself. So it's no different for me than it is for our team. You got to get a little better each day. Mm. As you go and you sit in John Maxwell's, the leader of leaders, I mean, he's the guy we all look to uh, in so many ways. What's something you found there that you didn't expect to find? What's, what's a principle you went, man, that was a takeaway that I wish I had known it 25 years ago. What's some, what are some of those takeaways? Oh man, I wish I'd prepared for this. <laughs> I, I wasn't even going to bring him up until you, until you asked that question. But I, I think some of the things that, that I'd learned in coaching kind of just by figuring it out mm. that, that, that he just presented in his books, you know, and I've, I've written, read some of his books before, but listening to him present those about uh, the way that you treat people, mm. about the, a conflict resolution and how you deal with those things uh, in, in a professional manner, being able to make some of the tough decisions. Those were things that I picked up that were kind of really stood out to me. Obviously, he's a tremendous speaker yep. and he has a way of getting things across, but he puts it in such simple form. And as I'm writing these down, I said, we do this, we do this, we do this. We just may not say it as clearly as he does because he's been doing it, as he said, for 50 years. And he's had a lot more practice probably putting it into words than we do. But, you know, treating other people right, that's one of the biggest things that he says. That's and that's one of the things that we say. And that comes from, from the Bible. It's that's biblical. Right. It's the golden rule. Treat others as you would like to be treated. Honor other people. Respect other people. And when, when I talk with our coaches and when our players, the very first thing on the on my list, I don't even have to look at the list anymore, is going to be about respect. It's going to be about honoring another person and treating others the way you want to be treated. And, you know, when you're dealing in the world of high school football or any level of football and you've got testosterone, uh, a lot of it, uh, it's not always going to happen that way. No, that's right. They're going to think of themselves first rather than the other. And, and that leads to another point, though, uh, I thought that uh, John Maxwell really emphasized well 
is the higher you go in leadership, uh, the more that you have to realize that you have to sacrifice, that you've got to be willing to give up more than the person beneath you. You've got to be willing to take a few more shots, uh, maybe than, than the assistant or maybe than the players uh, because of your position as a leader. And just realize that and expect it. And you can't do it by yourself. So uh, in summary, that might be three or four points. That's that I fantastic. That's I, fantastic. I realized, but uh, I've never had it spelled out that way. Yeah. And that's the beauty of that is in, in really, whether it's, whether it's college baseball, high school football, or a CEO of an organization, leadership's leadership, because you're leading, you're leading not only a football team, but you have parents and you have players and you have assistant coaches. And then you have other, as, as the high school coach I work with says, we have lots of other coaches in the stands that seem to know more than I do at <laughs> times. So, uh, you know, we've got all kinds of coaches that we're dealing with. Absolutely. How do you, how do you handle the critical part of how people look at your job? Because for the 22 that are on the field on a Friday night, you know, everybody loves you. Those parents are all happy with you, but that you may have another 20 to 30 that never got to step on the field that think their kids should be on the field. How have you handled that through the years, that pressure of expectations that parents bring to the table? Well, number one, I'm not a Facebook user. That's so smart. so I, I don't I don't get into the game of somebody saying something or somebody says something, and I really encourage our coaches not to either. I said, we, we don't need to get into rumors and innuendos and worry about that. We, we've got a job to do. Let's do our job. And, and if, you know, occasionally a parent may uh, get a little bit out of shape, and, and I'm always willing to uh, confront them about those type of things. But uh, one of the things that I've always done, and I started this a long time ago, and I'll, I'll talk with you about this later, but we, we had a very serious injury early in my career, and I started uh, parents' meetings. Uh, all these participation forms that everybody has to sign now. I, I had those in place long before the Kentucky High School Athletic Association started requiring them because of uh, certain circumstances that took place. And my parent meetings have always been maybe a little more um, uh, sincere because of an injury to a young man and, and what I think needs parents need to hear. So I talk directly about uh, what this game's about. What are we really here for? And I, I say, yes, I know there's a difference that um, I come from one side. Uh, I'm looking at your son from my point of view, and I look at it from how he fits in on the team, where you probably look at it was what's in it for him. Mm -hmm. And I said, but what we have to do is we both have his best interest at heart, and we have to work together for that. And I said, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to talk with you every day. I'm a rather reserved person. If you do have a question, you're certainly willing to ask, and I'll be glad to talk with you. But I really encourage you, as your young men grow, to let them grow. Mm -hmm. Let them be the one to come and see me. Let them be the one to uh, bring an issue to the table without you always running interference for them. And so I think some of the things that I've been able to do is just to ward off things before they, they start. You know, say, all right, okay, this could be an issue. I'm going to talk about it up front. And and it's always worked pretty good for me. That's not to say I haven't had a problem or two or somebody get uh, bent, bent out of shape, you might say, at the, at the wrong time. And, you know, I've just learned how to handle those things and deal with it. If my coaches have a problem, I'll, 
we'll we'll sit down and I'll sit in with them and we'll we'll do what we need to do. But I think it's it's partly experience and partly that I've always been pretty level headed with those kind of things. I'm not the kind of guy that flies off the handle at, at some parent gets in a big shouting match or you know any anything like that. I've I've always been pretty cool and said uh, as as I said earlier, I think leaders sometimes have to take some shots, but you do the right thing. And you say the right things. And sometimes, sometimes it's not, it's saying nothing at all. That's right. <laughs> until it's the right time. So uh, that's, that's the way it's kind of worked for me. And uh, over the years, it's worked pretty good. You know, uh, being around that, I know the grind that you guys go through. I mean, football used to be such a shorter season that it is now. Now it's not just fall, but the minute, the, the Christmas is over. You're back in the weight room. You're getting after it for the next season. And then your summer camps and all the other things that go along with it. How have you kept your passion through all these years that you look forward to the next year, even though you've been doing it a long time, how have you kept that passion? I think it goes back to the, the, the same things that I mentioned earlier is that I have to do quite a bit of self-motivation. Obviously, I, I love the sport, and and I know what it teaches young people. And so sometimes when I'm wavering, I say, "Hey, maybe I'm getting a little too old for this." Uh, you know, can I can I get another year out of me? Those, those kind of things. Yeah. You know, I look back and say, "Well, what's my purpose?" Mm. And 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 that leads me to say, "Hey, I can make a difference in a kid's life." And I, I had a one of my mentors one time told me. Uh, well, it's been a few years ago, and I think I can share this. I was, uh, I had a couple of coaches retiring, and we'd been together a long time, and I knew the next year was going to be a tough year. And I said, you know, I've got enough years in. You know, maybe I ought to just get out, out of there. You know, it's, it's going to be tough. And, and he just wisely said, these kids, these kids, may need you more this year than any other year. And that's always stuck with me. You know, you don't stay as long as you have where, where you've been at Belfry. Um, and, and I've heard a lot of interviews with you and you constantly mention your players and your coaches. You know, when the reporter comes up to you after a state championship game or a big win against a rival and they said, tell me, Coach Haywood, about the game. And you say, well, I mean, we wouldn't be here without my players and coaches. How have you been able to keep yourself from not being the center of attention and making it all about you and remembering? And you said this in one of your interviews. I didn't make any tackles tonight. I didn't I didn't make any plays. How have you? kept that reminder to not let them, and we both, and we're going to talk about our faith here in a second, not let pride slip in where you begin to pat yourself on the back. How have you been able to do that? Well, I think uh, sometimes your wife can keep you pretty grounded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, amen to that. When you come home, they, they, they can put you in a place in a heartbeat, but, but, but in all seriousness, um, I, I've, I've always believed I, I believe what I say mm. and and if I if I'm going to preach things to my team I have to believe what I'm saying and I think that may be um one of the keys to to my success is that I do believe what I say and I mm. practice what I say to our team 
that you have to put others first. And it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us. And I say that frequently after games. Uh, you know, I know some kids will be a little disappointed because they didn't play as much. And, and other kids will do this. And, and I'm always saying, remember, it's not about you. And it's not about me. And it's about us. And I guess I've just said that so much that it's, it's very easy for me to, you know, compliment our team, compliment our coaches, because I know how much they do. That's right. And, and I know I'm, I'm an I'm a ordinary guy that's had, a, had good things happen to me simply because I've, I've had good perseverance, good health. God's blessed me. But I've been blessed with great coaches and great players that have bought into what we try to do. I'm sure there's been some points in the journey coach that you thought, you know what, I, I'm ready to wave the white flag. You know, adversity set in, it was a tough season, tough loss. I mean, you talked about, I mean, you were in it a long time before you won your first state title. Um, how did you keep going through those seasons of adversity when, when the, the getting out sure seemed to be a good deal? How'd you keep going? Well, uh, I'll share. I'm going to, we have our devotions on Friday morning. So, so tomorrow morning, I'm going to be talking with our kids and I'll just share a little bit about what we're talking about. And part of it's perseverance and uh gentleman, James Corbett, Jim Corbett, former heavyweight champion. Uh, one of his great quotes was fight one more round. And so, so when your nose is bleeding, fight one more round. When, you're, when your body's so sore that you don't think you can lift your arms, fight another round. When you're on the canvas and you don't think you can get up, fight one more round. He said, as long as you fight one more round, you'll never be whipped. Mm. And, and we all get put on that canvas. We all get knocked down. And I, I have a very difficult time. And I think most football coaches do, but I've always had a difficult time after seasons. And my coaches know that. I mean, I'm just on the canvas, so to speak. And this, uh, this was that way early in my career. I mean, it's just who I am. You know, it's like yeah. you put so much into it and, and it ends. And, and unless you win it all, <laughs> which doesn't happen every year, then, then, then it's, it's like you, you put all this in, you've come up short because the, the ultimate goal is to win the championship. So, uh, but you got to pick yourself back up. You mm -hmm. got to get off the canvas. You got to fight one more round. And so I'm going to talk with our kids a little bit that tomorrow and, and add a little biblical perspective in it. And um, those, those are the kind of things that we try to bring up on our devotional mornings. Our coaches pretty much take turns doing that. And I've got a few special guests that come in and uh, that's an, that's a neat thing, but, but yeah, that, yeah, there's been certain seasons. I've, I've had the conversations with God walking up and down my hollow here and, and said, I, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Hmm. And uh, by the time it's over, he's convinced me. <laughs> Excuse me a minute. You're good. Ready. But but it's it's almost that that I kind of work through it, and he works through it with me, and I get to the point where I, yeah I'm ready, I'm ready to go again. I'll do what you want. He's patient, isn't he? You know oh, when scripture is. when scripture says he's long suffering, I think he had us in mind with that word long suffering that he puts up with us and and gives us some grace, doesn't he? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. You have um, not only been coaching a long time, you've been married and raised a family while coaching. As you look back now in the rearview mirror, how have you been able to marry those two things of keeping a strong family with your girls and your precious wife, Linda? How have you been able to do that, coach? What are what are some tips you might be able to give a young coach looking back on your journey? Well, sometimes I, I think it's more about them uh, doing it than me uh, you, because I'm just gone a lot. And and I still remember Linda's uh, grew up in a family that was uh, kind of non-sports oriented. Uh, so I, I explained to her that this is what I do, and I'm gone an awfully lot during the football season. I said it settles down a little in the off season, but, you know, I'm, I've still got certain hours and and I don't know if I've got hours. You just start and you come home when you're done. I think you you understand that, and coaches certainly understand that. But uh, but she she had a little hard time that first year. She said, "You told me, but I had no idea what it was going to be like." But I, I was blessed to have her by my side because uh, she's been right in there with me all this time. She, as I said, she she keeps swinging too, and our girls have done the same thing. And I've asked them in the past. I said. Do you feel like I neglected you? Did, did, did I not spend enough time with you? And, and they both said, no, Dad, you, you, you were fine. And, and maybe they didn't have a dad home at 5 o'clock every day. <laughs> but uh, we still managed to do things together and uh, still have great relationships with them and our grandkids and things like that. So uh, it, it's been good. But, it, again, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just them. It was a family affair. It was everyone working together as a team. As you look back on your journey in coaching, is there anything you'd do different? Looking back, if you could go back to young Coach Haywood, cranking up. I know you started at 13 coaching Little League teams. I heard that story, which is an amazing story. Anything you'd do different through the years? Um, no, I, I don't think I would change a thing. Uh, if, I, if I could change something, I would say I wish I'd grown up a little sooner. I think we make mistakes sometimes when we're young because we are insecure, maybe a little too self-centered, and, and we may step on people's toes, hurt people's feelings, and we're not doing it necessarily intentionally, but it's because of our own sin insecurities or our own ego issues, those type of things. And uh, I thought the 20s, when I was first starting off as a head coach, uh, we, we had some good teams, and and our kids really played hard, and I'm as close to those guys as any teams that I have. I mean, those first years, uh, we, we still have great relationships, and I talk with them frequently, uh, even today. And uh, at the same time, I realized, you know, I said, man, I didn't know what I was doing then, and I wish I knew then what I knew now. Uh, but those, those things are beside the point. But I do think sometimes when we're younger, if we can just learn to take a step back and and take a breath and, and realize that it's not about me. Mm. You know, it, it's about the kids. And I was fortunate. Uh, and and I, I guess I'll go ahead and share this story now. Uh, but I was fortunate, even though it was a tragedy, to have an injury to one of my players. And in 1976, you know, I was my second year as a head coach. And... <laughs> Um, we, we were playing for the first district championship in the school's history. Uh, we went out and got ahead 14 to nothing. And, and as we kicked off, one of our young sophomores went down the field and, 
and made a hit on the ball, uh, ball carrier, but he laid on the field. And uh, I, I'll remember this vividly as I started to cross that field and got this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I just knew something was the matter. And when I reached his side, he was saying, I can't move. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a shock to everyone. And we went on and we won the game handily. We won a district championship. But that locker room, it, it was eerie. It was so silent. There was so much fear in the locker room uh, because of their teammate. And they were so concerned about him. And later that night, I got the call in the middle of the morning that uh, he'd, t- he'd been taken to Lexington, that he was paralyzed, you know, from the neck down and was fighting for his life at that time. And that's the kind of thing that'll change your life. Mm-hmm. And not only with our team, but with our, 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 our community, uh, you just don't expect that to happen. And of course, with with news media now, you do hear of things like that. You hear people diving into a pool or gymnastics injury or a football injury or something like that. But in those days, uh, you just didn't read about it that much. It happened. It it was say, gosh, what's what's happened here? How could this take place? And I was so fortunate to work with Stuart. Stuart Wright was the gentleman's name. Uh, Work with him through this process. And I visited him in Lexington frequently. Uh, I was uh, a wreck. I, I can tell you that. I mean, I said, I, I didn't know if I wanted to coach anymore. I said, I don't know if I can continue to do this. And yet every day I kept going one more around. You know, I'd, I'd get up and go. And, and I kept visiting him. I visited his family. We kept our team going, you know, went on through the season, uh, started the next season. And, and I, I'll never forget the night. When, when he wheeled back into our locker room, it was about mm. three years later, and he had a big smile on his face, and it was he was so thrilled that he could be back in a, in a football locker room with our kids. And, and of course, most of those kids weren't even playing when uh, when the injury happened, because this been this three or four years later before he was able to do that. And but they were so excited to see him. You know, it wasn't like it brought back bad memories or anything. This is one of our guys. He's back. And so I was real excited for him to be able to do that. But as he went through this process of, of overcoming things, I've always think that, you know, the, the life's kind of uh, 90% of, of what you make of it. It's only 10% of what happens to you. And, and he overcame these things. And he had a marvelous attitude. His, his determination and his uh, attitude and his work ethic of being able to do that. And he lived his life. He was married. He had a daughter. Uh, he found Jesus. I still remember him calling me to tell me about that. We won our first state championship. He was the third caller. Uh, he wasn't the first, but he was the third caller when we got back early that next morning uh, on the phone. Say, hey, coach, great win. You know, he was so excited about that. And so he and I talked frequently and, and to, to realize how big of an impact you have on kids. Mm. The last call I received, and he passed away two or three years ago, about a month before he died, he called. And, and you know, we had our, uh, our annual talk, I guess. And, and, and he asked this question. He said, Coach, he said, do you think, and his voice got a little shaky, and he said, do you think I would have been a good player? Mm-hmm. And I said, 
Stuart, you would have been a great player. Mm. And he would have been. You know, he's a big strapping young man, 6'2", you know, 175 sophomore. He was, he was going to be a good player. And uh, so I, I wasn't just pulling his leg, but he said, I always wondered what you thought about me, you know, how I was going to be. And so here's a, here's a young man that, that's uh, uh, life was shortened, but he lived it out to the fullest. That's right. But even, even toward the end for coaches, when you don't think, when you wonder, are you making a difference? Here was a young man that 40 years later, uh, somewhere in there, 35 to 40 years later, has still got that question in his mind. You know, do you think he wants to know from the coach? That's fantastic. That is, that's a powerful story and a great reminder when you get caught up in the scoreboards and in the news clippings and the stuff that at the end of the day doesn't matter. It is that great reminder. And what I love, and I, a question I was thinking about when I was prepping for you coach was you've coached generations now of players. I mean, these kids, when you started coaching social media, nobody even knew what that could be. To, to today, kids have access to everything, you know, here in the state of Georgia. I mean, they transfer schools like like they're in college. I mean, it's unbelievable what all goes on in the, the, the high school transfer portal. What, what hasn't changed about kids? We could name a bazillion things that have changed. For you as a coach, what hasn't changed about a player in 2021 from 1976? What would you say? I think kids are still kids. And I think if left alone by outside forces, there's probably not going to be a whole lot of difference. I think externally, whether it be social media, uh, different parenting styles, of, uh, there's a lot of different things, like I say, external forces out there that we get into a lot of things that maybe we didn't have as much back in the 70s or 60s when I played. Uh, we, we've got more entitlement now mm-hmm. issues. And that's true not only in sports, but it's yep. true in our country. Uh, and, and I'm a firm believer that you kind of work for what you get and, and that you don't always get what you want. That's a part of life. And, and sometimes that fact is learned at an early age and sometimes it's learned at a later age, but we don't always get exactly what we want. And learning to fight through those things and having that perseverance that I talked about earlier is one of the great lessons in life for young people. And to me, that, that's, that's, a, that's a big point. And that's a, that's a big difference now. As you said, kids wanting to transfer one school to another like they're in college or the NFL or NBA, you know, things like that. And, and they, they kind of watch what they do and they say, well, I'm going to do the same thing and I'm going to try to get myself in a better situation. When sometimes if you just stick it out, you'd be pretty good. There's a neat story about that too, uh, and this came from this Chaplin book. I don't know how much time we got, but I'll oh, share. Oh, okay. There was a uh, he was a chaplain at the University of Auburn, and I don't remember the names, but I do remember there was a five-star quarterback that came, and somewhere during the middle of the season. Uh, he became the starter, and they won quite a few games, and he was projected, you know, to really be good. Uh, there was a coaching change, and uh, all of a sudden he wasn't the starter anymore. And then Cam Newton came to town <laughs> as a transfer, and and he was just out of the picture. And this young man had some choices to make. He could have done what a lot of people do, 
Uh, he could have transferred to another school. He could have uh, gone to probably any school he wanted. He was, he was a pretty good player. Or he could stay with his teammates, work through the adversity, and become a contributor. And, and he decided to do that. And, and so the, the neat thing was in the national championship game, which Auburn won uh, when Newton was a senior and this young man was a senior as well. He caught the first touchdown pass in the game because he decided to stay with it. And that's not the end of the story. The best part of the story is, is that every student at Auburn, because of his popularity and, and um, the five-star rating, and they, they all kind of knew who this kid was. They also knew what he did to stay there. Mm-hmm. So when he walks across the stage to get his diploma, he gets a standing ovation from his classmates because of that one thing, determination and perseverance. That's so good. And not giving up and just cutting and running because it was in his best self-interest. Mm. And so, yeah, there's been some changes. And I think it's social media. Uh, you listen to the sports shows, you know, do this, do that, look out for yourself. But that's not, to me, that, that's not what really success is about, looking out for me. It's looking out for others. What can you do to help others? And in the process, you can help yourself. You know, your faith is way more than just something you pull off your Bible and dust it off every now and then. Your faith is active. Tell me what Jesus means to you, Coach, and how does that relationship with him affect how you lead and how you coach? Well, I try to honor him in what I do. And I'll be the first to say I'm not perfect. The person might watch me on the field sometimes or practice on a particularly tough day and say, hey, I'm not sure who this guy is. But, you know, I'll, I'm quickly, I'll, I'll remind you and me, said, so, you know, Jesus got upset a couple times too. So uh, bear with me. Yeah. But I've got their best interest at heart. And I think we got to do what we can to motivate young people. And uh, sometimes it takes a little sternness and sometimes it takes a little kindness. But uh, but Jesus in, in my life and going back to that 1976 episode, um, I, you know, when I grew up, my parents went to church. They took me to church. Uh, sometimes they drug me to church. I wasn't all that interested. But, you know, I was an early kid baptized, but I don't know if I was living the faith. Mm-hmm. And. I wasn't necessarily a bad kid, but I probably was doing some things I shouldn't be doing. Uh, but that that incident right there kind of brought me to my knees uh, because I knew this was bigger than me. And if I was going to continue with my career and continue with my life, I was going to need something more powerful than me to get me through this. And I had a very special aunt that I spent a lot of time with from a spiritual matter. I always had. She was my godmother as well. And uh, she kind of talked and prayed me through this. And over the years, we became very, very close. Uh, She was my Thursday night prayer partner for 39 or 40 years, I guess, until she passed away. I've I've had another lady that I've I've put in her place since then. Uh, But at some point, I, 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 I had to give up my control and let Jesus take control. And that was a big point for me. And I had a player that year uh, who was going to community college. And he said, Coach, there's something different about you this year. You seem a lot calmer. And I said, mm-hmm. 
I am. <laughs> and, and that was it because I finally let him take over my life. And that was through this process of a three or four year period where I was, you know, kind of just torn up because of this injury and the after effects and dealing with all of that, still trying to coach, still doing what I was supposed to do and following my purpose. But at the same time, I was having difficulties dealing with it. And I, I finally had to just let go and let him take over. And so since then, I've always had to kind of get out of God's way. That, that's one of my problem, problems. And I think it's a problem for a lot of people is that sometimes we try to do too much. We think we can fix anything. And we got to realize where we stop and where God takes over. And sometimes I think he's, he's taking over all the time. We just need to get out of the way a little bit more, be a little more patient. What are some daily disciplines that you have to keep your mind focused that it's not about me and it's about the impact I'm having on players with my faith is a big part of that, even though it's not something you stand up and preach about every day, but it is what you're living. What are some daily disciplines you do to keep your faith active and strong? Well, uh, two or three things. I, I try to read uh, the Bible every morning. I probably don't read it as much as I should, but when I eat breakfast, I open the Bible. And it may just be a few verses, but I'm going to spend time reading. Uh, I may be praying on the way to school, uh, th- those type of things. And I read a lot. Uh, just finished a great book by James Merritt on character. Mm-hmm. And uh fantastic. And I suggested it to our youth leader at church. And I've shared that with three or four people already. Uh, A a former pastor in this area, who's not here now, uh, got me a copy over the summer. And I said, man, this is good stuff. Uh, I'll just keep texting him. I said, this was a great chapter. And he said, yeah, it was, wasn't it? So uh, he comes over and still does a devotion for us every now and then. So uh, I try to read a lot and, and kind of uh, from books as well as the Bible. I probably read more books, and this might be a bad thing to say, but I'm just being honest. I probably read more books to fill in the blanks in the yep, Bible yep. Than, I, than I do with the biblical everyday reading. I'll, I'll read a little of that. I always make some highlights, make some notes, and I'll get through a Bible and get me another one with other different notes and go through that. And that's a process. I mean, it takes a while to go that's through right. one. but. Uh, but I do read a lot of books. I'll, I'll read uh, uh, spiritual books, uh, leadership books, and, and some occasionally some sports books. And and uh, when we go on bus trips, I'll pull out a Louis Moore or Zane Gray Western and read <laughs> a lot. But I, I am a reader, and I think those are probably the three things that I do. And, of course, I, I try to go to church uh, regularly. You know, I, I watched your Hall of Fame induction speech and, there'll be a day that, that this all comes to an end. I mean, coaching comes to an end and there's a day for all of us that we'll close our eyes here and we'll open our eyes on the other side. I don't think there'll be anything that stands in between that. And the, when the day comes that coach Philip Haywood closes his eyes here and opens his eyes there and locks eyes with his savior for the first time, the one he's read about and the one he's taught Sunday school about the one he's led, led worship about. I know you lead worship as well. Um, coached and talked to his players about when you lock eyes with him, what do you hope the Lord Jesus says to you? Well, that's a tough question. Uh, I don't think I've ever thought about that. I, I think, 
that I would hope he says that you're worthy to come in. Because mm. sometimes um, I, I feel very unworthy that I'm just not up to God's standards. And I know that that probably isn't the right way to feel because once you are saved, you know, you're, you're, you're a child of God. Yeah. And then we get in this thing of, well, I want to measure up. I want to do all these little things. And, and, but we also start realizing all the things that we may be doing wrong. And so, so sometimes in my mind, I just say, I don't know if I'm worthy, but Paul even says that none mm -hmm. of us are worthy right. by his grace that we come in. So I guess in his words, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. What a fun episode with Coach Haywood. That quiet, gentle faith fueling who he is, how he leads, how he loves. So, so good. Thank you, Marlon, for connecting us. And thank you, Coach Haywood, for taking the time out of your schedule to join me on Lynch with a Leader because that was an absolute blast to sit down with Coach Haywood. I tell you what, that was one of those. I got off the call and I told so many friends about it. I've been waiting to release this episode because it just had so much good stuff in it. And you know what? Staying the course is not easy. But every time we do it, we're always thankful we have done it. And he has been doing it for a long time. And as they would say, the proof, it's in the pudding. And man, that's just some good stuff. Well, we're going to take a little pivot on our next episode and we're going to sit down with really one of the leading voices in America. Uh, he's part of Ramsey Solutions, Dr. John Deloney. And I, I, uh, I got on the call with Dr. Deloney and we were going through his, in his new book, Own Your Past, Change Your Future. And it just hit me all in the right places and time. And uh, you, it probably sounds like more of a therapy session than a call. So you're going to enjoy episode 148. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have never subscribed, go subscribe and just know this. Go be the leader that God's created you to be in the spaces and the places that he has put you. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 